Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So over the next four weeks, we're going to cover chapters one and two of this wonderful book, but obviously, I guess, quite a mysterious book for many of us. I hope that it's going to encourage you to read it for yourselves, but a bit more than that, I hope it's going to equip you to read this book. It will give you the tools, I trust, in order to understand it well. By way of introduction, Proverbs is one of five books in the Old Testament which are sometimes called the wisdom literature. There is wisdom, of course, in the rest of the Bible, but these five, they all major in wisdom, and they're grouped together in the English Bible. So you've got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. The three big ones are Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Psalms and Song of Songs sometimes scrape it into the description as well. They've got elements of law and prophecy and history in these books, but they stand out as different. They stand out as different because they, although they communicate truth, they do it in an indirect way. It's not immediately obvious what they're saying. So Job, for example, does it through a story of suffering and then a debate around what's going on. Song of Songs communicates truth through a love song. Psalms does it through poetry. Ecclesiastes does it through a kind of philosophical thought um, reflection. And Proverbs famously does it through those kind of pithy sayings that capture the truth uh, in a memorable way. And those, so those, wis- those wisdom books, they're going to present truth to us in a way that perhaps we're not that familiar with, but in a way which will stick in our minds. They'll be, uh, they're suitable to be reflected on, to be thought about, considered, turned over, so that we can apply it uh, into the situations of our lives. The way this little book works is that the first seven verses present an introduction for us. They equip us with the tools that we need to read the rest of it. It's an introduction of sorts. It introduces chapters 1 to 9, and then chapters 1 to 9 in turn introduce the rest of the book. And from 10 to 31, you get those two, two sort of two-phrase sayings and that I'm sure you'll be more familiar with. So we're going to be equipped to read the rest of the book. And I'd encourage you over the next few weeks to dig into Proverbs and give it a go um, and see um, where we get to. On the handout, you'll see the outline for this evening. In this seven-verse introduction, we see the origin of wisdom, then the substance of wisdom, and then the key to wisdom. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for this gift, the gift of this book of Proverbs. 
Lord, as we approach it, it's not the most familiar part of your word to us. Uh, We sometimes feel that we don't understand it very well. And so, Lord, we ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit to us to illumine these words to us, that we might grasp the truth of them and that they might transform us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So what's it all about? It's about wisdom. Now before we get to the text, let's just ask that question, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is about being able to navigate. Imagine that you're going through on a hike through the countryside. And if you're, it's a sort of reasonable idea that you'd carry a map with you. And a map gives you cold, hard facts. It gives you information, knowledge. It gives you knowledge about roads and footpaths, about the terrain, about potential obstacles, the distance between point A and point B. It gives you that kind of hard info. You might also have some soft info as well. You might have a friend who's been on this route before and can tell you um, what it takes. You might know how long it will take you to cover that kind of distance. You might know how slow uh, your wife and kids are and how much longer it will take when you go with them, things like that. You've got some hard information like a map and some soft information like some advice from a friend. How do you best plan for a journey? Well, you take those things, the knowledge and the information you have, and you weigh it, and you weigh it in order to decide on the best routes, working out which turnings to take in order to get to your destination. You navigate. You walk in the light of what's been revealed to you to get to your destination safely. When the Bible speaks about wisdom, it means skillfully knowing how to navigate through the decisions of life in the light of God's Word and in the fear of the Lord. Skillfully knowing how to navigate through the decisions of life in the light of God's words, and in the fear of the Lord. The Hebrew word translated wisdom simply just means skill. And it's a skill that's particularly useful when the Bible doesn't give us an explicit instruction telling us what to do. Now, it's great when the Bible does tell us exactly what to do. Imagine someone comes to you and they they share with you, they say, well, look, my job at the moment is really not paying me enough money Uh, to support me and my family. And so I'm wondering what to do next. I'm thinking what I should do is go and buy a shotgun and hold up the local co-op. Well, in that case, the Eighth Commandment is very helpful, isn't it? You shall not steal. It's an explicit instruction. It tells us exactly what to say in that circumstance. Don't do that. That's wrong. It doesn't take much skill to apply that, does it? But that's normally not what happens. Normally someone says, look, I don't know what to do in this situation. Can, we have, can you give me some advice? Should I quit my job and look for another? Or should I stick it out? Or perhaps should I should borrow some money. Maybe that will help my situation. Or I could sell some possessions and make a bit of extra cash that way. Or perhaps I'm a Christian, maybe I should pray and I'll just pray that... that the money just comes somehow. See, none of those options are held up as explicitly right or explicitly wrong. 
in the Bible. There's no verse that you can point to to say that's the answer to your problem. And that's much more tricky. And most of the decisions we have in life are like that one. Which course should I study at university? Where should I live? Should I get married? And if so, who to? Should we have kids? And if so, how many? Which church should I go to? Which ministry should I serve in? How much should I give? How should I prepare for my retirement? What should I do in retirement? How should I prepare for my death? Those decisions are when we need wisdom. Wisdom to know how to apply the truth of God into any given situation in life. And a wise person can skillfully navigate through those situations and make consistently good decisions. And they do it for minor decisions, and they do it for major decisions. And I want to know how to do that. Wouldn't it be great if we could live a life like that, where we consistently made good choices all the way through? I think most of us will feel like that. And therefore, Proverbs will be exciting for us. We're going to learn how to do this well. But my guess is that that's not all of us. And for some of us, as we look at our lives, we may be all too aware that really and truly our life is a string of bad decisions, one after another. And we've got to the point where we feel pretty hopeless Well, if you feel like that, then Proverbs is for you too. Let's see what it has to say. Verse 1, the origin of wisdom. Verse 1 tells us that what we have here are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction. Solomon. Solomon's named as the author and collector of of these proverbs. But he's actually, as you go through the book, he's not the only contributor. Later on, we'll see a guy called Agger, who I'm pretty sure played centre-back for Liverpool, and a guy called Lemuel, who sounds like a French jewel thief. And we don't know much about them. Agger's probably a court official of some kind. Lemuel was a king. He's not a king of Israel, though, so we don't know too much about him. And then as we read on, we'll find that there are 30 sayings of some unnamed wise men, There's a section where some of King Hezekiah's servants get together and they collect some proverbs. And then finally, there's an unknown editor at the end who brings them all together and puts them all into one book. So the proverbs in this book, the wisdom that we find here, it's not just kind of drifting down in some sort of spiritual ether to, to land on the page. It's the stuff of the real world. It's brought to us by real life flesh and blood human beings. Some are written by identified authors, some are written by others and collected by these men, but some are just taken from some of the Proverbs in the world around at that time. They're interpreted by God's people and they're put down in the Scriptures and established as God's Word. And that might be a bit of a surprise for us. Can it be that God's wisdom comes from human beings, and even some pagan human beings. Well, the first verse, I think, helps us to see what's going on, because there's a reason that Solomon is put up front as the primary 
proverb giver. But to find out why, we need to think about Solomon's story. And some of you I know will know the story. Solomon was the last king of all God's people, Israel, and before the land was divided and, and into two. And his reign was one of great prosperity for the country. When he became king, God visited him in a dream, and he offered Solomon anything he wanted. And Solomon asked that God give him a discerning heart or wisdom so that he could navigate the difficult tasks of governing his kingdom. I'd like us just to look at a little bit of Solomon's story. So if you've got a Bible, please turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. In the Black Bible, it's page 282. One Kings chapter 3, it's page 282, and we're just going to look at verse 10. We're told in 1 Kings 3 verse 10 that it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, he asked for wisdom. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I'll just look over the page to chapter 4. Um, verse 29, just flick over, um, flick over the page. 1 Kings 4, verse 29, here we read, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, Wiser than Ethan, the Ezrahite, and Heman, Kalkol, and Dada, the sons of Mahol. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who has heard of his wisdom. If we were to read on, we find out that that really happens. People visit him from all over the world. Most famously, the Queen of Sheba comes with her entourage to learn from him and soak up the wisdom that God gave him. Come back with me to Proverbs chapter 1. It's page 527. Solomon is put up front in our book of Proverbs as the great human source of wisdom because there is a deeper truth that we need to know, that God is the true source of all wisdom. We were repeatedly told in 1 Kings that God gave Solomon his wisdom. Any wisdom Solomon has does not come from himself. It comes from God as a gift This is true in the other wisdom literature. In Job, Job says this, Job 12, to God belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are his. If it's wise, it comes from God. 
The origin of wisdom is the Lord himself, even if it comes to us through human vessels and even sinful human vessels. See, Proverbs is given to us through men, but it is a well of resources from God for us to draw deeply from so that we can be wise. That's the origin of wisdom. Now, verse 2 to 6, the substance of wisdom. In other words, what it does and who it is for. In verse 2 to 6, we see that the substance or the nature of wisdom in Proverbs, and, and we learn that it's multifaceted. It's, it's like a jewel that if you hold it up to the light, it shines uh, different colours, it sparkles in different ways. Throughout these verses, there are lots of kind of interconnected and, and overlapping terms, and they all help us to see the richness of the wisdom in this book. Each of the phrases here, they have a kind of slightly different angle on wisdom. I think we can summarise them in four different things. First of all, wisdom is, number one, intellectual, verse 2. It's to understand words of insight, verse 4. It's for knowledge. There's a thinking element to wisdom. We're to gain knowledge and understanding if we want to be wise. Now, we need to be clear about this. Understanding, that is, having knowledge, knowing what something means... That's not the same thing as being wise. You can have lots of knowledge and still miss wisdom, and many people do. Many people in uh, universities do in particular. So in the example I gave you earlier about walking through the country, you can know all the information that a map gives, you can have all the information that a friend who's been there before gives, but you can also ignore that, go off the track and fall into a bog like a fool. See, knowledge and understanding, they don't equal wisdom, but they are a part of it. You can have knowledge without wisdom, but you can't have wisdom without knowledge. You have to think, you have to learn, you have to study, and you have to understand, particularly this book, in order to be wise. So it has an intellectual facet Uh, to it. Secondly, it's also practical. This is verse 3. To receive instruction in wise dealing. The NIV translates that as instruction in prudent behaviour. In other words, wisdom's practical. It's it's something that leads to changed behaviour. It's it's not mere philosophy for academics and sages. There's kind of guys who sit in an office, they smoke a pipe and they ponder on things. It's not really for them. It it leads to action. It leads to -to down-to-earth, practical decision-making skills in ordinary life. And that's really important as we set up to read the book of Proverbs because we're going to need to expect it to change the way we live, not just the way we think. So it's intellectual, practical, it's ethical. It's also in verse 3 to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Wisdom in the Proverbs, it it may not give us black and white commands like, do not commit adultery. But that doesn't mean that it's not moral in character. It doesn't just give us options of ways to live, just as if sort of anything goes, we can choose. 
It tells us which ways to live please God and which ways do not. And it will do it in an indirect manner. And you need to watch out for this um, as you go through. So rather than, rather than simply stating, do not commit adultery, like the book of Exodus does, it will tell us a story. It will tell us a story of, of the poor, a series of poor decisions which end up with someone committing adultery. And then it will show us the disaster that happens next. See, it's helping us to see that wise choices keep us from sin and foolish choices end up in sin. So in decision-making, there is right and there is wrong, and then there is wise and foolish. They're not exactly the same thing, but they're partners together. The wise will also be good, and the foolish will be evil. It has an ethical, it has a moral element. It will help us to live rightly before God. Wisdom's intellectual, it's practical, it's ethical, but it's also analytical, the fourth thing. I gave you five things then, but I can't count. Four things, analytical. This is verse five and six. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So wisdom in general, Proverbs in particular, is about giving us tools of discernment, the principles that we're given are enabling us to weigh up what other people say. You see that there in verse 6? It weighs up other people's words. It enables us to separate out what's good from what's bad, what's true from what's false, what's right from what's wrong. We'll learn to analyse correctly the wisdom of others when we hear it. Now that's, it struck me as I was preparing that, that that is going to be a critical tool for us in the modern world, the ability to weigh up what other people say. Now, every soundbite comes in 140 characters, doesn't it? There's all this wisdom out there, or which purports to be wisdom out there, and we very quickly need to be able to discern what's true and what's right. Every celebrity has a view on every issue, all these voices. You know the phrase that we often hear, be, the, the most important thing is to be true to yourself? Recognize that phrase? You've heard that from lots of different people. To be true to yourself, is that, is that wise? No, it's not. It's not wise. But how do we know it's not wise? Do we just accept that as being what's true? The wisdom of these scriptures, this book, is going to allow us to sift the dirt from the gold. It's intellectual, practical, ethical, and analytical. That's what wisdom is, that's what it does. But who's it for? Verse 4 and 5 show us. They show us that wisdom is for all kinds of people, except for one. So verse 4, it's to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. The simple, verse 4. Wisdom's for the simple. Now, when we, when we hear that word, it's, it's a derogatory word, isn't it? If you called someone simple, uh, they'd be insulted, wouldn't they? 
it, that's not the case in Proverbs. It's not an insult. It doesn't mean the intellectually challenged. It really means those who are naive or who, who are gullible. And I guess, you know, when I say that, you're all thinking that's someone else. And maybe you're thinking of someone else in particular, and people who are naive and gullible. Let me suggest that, in fact, this is some of us. This is those who are easily led. Those people who are easily led into wrong thinking and wrong living. They're simple. They're easily led into other things. To use a New Testament term, this is the spiritually immature And it might be those who are young in faith or in life, those who do not yet know a better way to live, a way to think, those who do not yet have the skill to filter out truth from error. And those kinds of people, they're in a very vulnerable position spiritually, aren't they? Because they can be led into all kinds of things which aren't helpful for them. But this would give us hope for that kind of person. Because this tells us that that kind of person can become wise. They can be taught wisdom, if only they're teachable. And that'd be a great question to ask us ourselves, wouldn't it? Are we teachable? Are we ready to hear what the Lord has to say to us? Now, connected to that idea, the writer then draws our attention to a particular group of people, the young. This is also... In verse 4, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, why does Chalmers invest so much time in children and youth ministry? Why have we committed so much energy into student ministry or into young adult ministry? Wouldn't our resources be better used elsewhere, perhaps? Not according to Proverbs. Proverbs would say that is a wise course of action. Not because the young are unintelligent, not because they don't have the capacity to be wise. It's not saying that age equals wisdom. Um, We only have to look around to realise that that's not always true. There are many old fools out there. So older folk, you need to learn wisdom too. But the author does direct this book to the young. Why does he do that? does it because wisdom is learned and the young simply haven't had the years of experience that teach so much. This book is the only book in the Bible, as far as I can know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the only book in the Bible where the young are specified as the target audience. It's particularly a book for teenagers and for young adults and therefore it's for the parents of teenagers and young adults. We need this. Now, just to give you an example of um, how this has really helped me recently, um, moving, to, moving to a new area, our kids, one of the big things on our um, sort of prayer requests is that they make new friends. It's a big thing for children. They, we need them to make new friends. We want them to make new friends. But what we've realized is that, that as they've started to make new friends, we start to have some anxieties about their friends. Sometimes they make friends and we think, I'm not sure you re- I really want you to be friends um, with that person. And so we have these decisions to make. My, my, one of my children came to us this week and said, um, I'd like to go over to my friend's house. Um, and um, it, they'd be there for a few hours. We've never met them. We don't know their parents. 
They know them from school. And so we didn't know what to do. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a familiar scenario for many parents. What do you do in that situation? Well, Proverbs has really helped me to think that through. It's got a lot to say about friends. A lot to say about friends who are helpful and friends who are unhelpful. And we'll see some of that uh, in the next couple of weeks. It has equipped me as a parent to help my children make wise decisions in life. And so we need this book. We need this book if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent. You need it particularly if you're a young person or a young adult. So keep coming on Sundays. Bring your teenage children if you've got them. And read it through so that we can learn to be wise together. The third group of people are the wise. They're in verse 5. If you want a New Testament term for them, you could talk about the spiritually mature. Now, how do you spot these people? Well, you spot them by, because they seem very wise to you, but they themselves don't think they're wise enough. They're always seeking to add to what they know already. The wise increase in their wisdom. That's what these verses say. They never think they've got it sorted. They don't think they're always right. They know that they need wisdom from the Lord and they eagerly seek it out. They can add to their wisdom, and they will, because they're wise. So wisdom's for everyone. We're all urged that it's for us, whatever stage we're at, except for one type of person who's excluded. It's not for the fool. They're in verse 7. More properly, the fool excludes himself from wisdom. This brings us to the final point. In this sermon, we've seen the origin of wisdom, the nature of it, what it does and who it's for. And now we see what's been called the key. The key to unlocking wisdom in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's called the key to wisdom because the phrase, the fear of the Lord, which comes up in many different parts of the wisdom literature... It's the starting point for all that follows. You'll get no wisdom unless you start there. Bruce Waltke is a leading scholar on the book of Proverbs. He says this, What the alphabet is to reading, what notes are to music, and what numbers are to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. It's the beginning. This is where we have to start if we want to become wise. But what does it mean? What does fearing the Lord mean? It means having a high view of God and a low view of us. It means that we recognize his holiness and his majesty and his power and his awesomeness. And of course, as we see him in in all his glory and majesty we realise our own inadequacy, our own sinfulness, our own weakness, and our utter dependence on his mercy and grace for all that we have. Fearing the Lord means humility in the face of someone infinitely greater and infinitely wiser than we could ever be. If you want to be wise, you must humble yourself before the Lord and fear him Because only then will you start to listen to his wisdom and take it for your own. 
But sadly, there are many people who do not. And the Bible calls them fools. It's a foolish thing to refuse to fear the Lord and to reject his wisdom. But people do it. They've been doing it since the Garden of Eden. They still do it today. And nowhere is it clearer than in the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. Even when the Lord himself dwelt on this earth and gave his wisdom to men, people still despised his wisdom. There's an occasion in Matthew's gospel where Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees and they ask him to produce a miracle for him. They want to test him. And Jesus says no. And he says no because they ask for a miraculous sign but they won't listen to his teaching. Pharisees are fools for they never fear him. They never recognize him for who he is. And they won't humble themselves before him and listen to his teaching. And it leads to their destruction. Fools do not fear the Lord and despise wisdom and instruction. Listen to what Jesus says to them. Matthew chapter 12, verse 42. The queen of the south, that is the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. See what he's saying? Jesus is the king of all God's people whose wisdom is greater than Solomon's, the wisest king who ever lived. King Solomon received his wisdom from the Lord and he gave it to his people. But Jesus is both Lord and King, and he imparts his own wisdom to his people. Jesus is the one for whom it is worth traveling from one end of the earth to the other to get his teaching. Colossians puts it like this it says that he is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the great wisdom teacher. But there's more. Because Solomon knew what was wise. But if we were to read the story of his life, we would discover that in the end, he ends up making decisions which go off track and away from the Lord. Terrible decisions in the end. It's never true of Jesus. As you look at his life, you see that he lived out Proverbs perfectly. He is the one who wisely navigated through life, who was never foolish, who never did or said anything wrong, who was right in every situation, even through paths that seemed impossible, like his road to the cross. Ultimately, Proverbs calls us to come with reverent fear and listen to King Jesus. And with his spirit given to us, to then follow in his ways. See, the words of this book are his words. The life it recommends is his life. The wisdom it grants is his wisdom. I trust that as we read this great book together and as we put it into practice, in his strength and by his grace, with his Spirit's help, we can begin 
to rightly navigate through life into eternity. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, as we speak of wisdom, we realise that we fall so far short. We know that in many things our decisions have been poor, ungodly, even wicked. And so, Lord, we come confessing our sin before you, acknowledging our need of your help. Lord God, we thank you that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was the great wisdom teacher and the one who lived a perfect life, who never put a step wrong. We thank you that he died for our sins and that in him, by his Spirit, we can follow him to eternal life. Lord God, would you transform our hearts and make us wise that we might live lives that please you from now into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.